Oh, yeah, it's Selection Sunday, baby. Welcome to March Sadness edition of Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Today's show, Eric Fawcett and I are going to talk about the season that was, the tournament that wasn't, and um, everything in between. We hope you enjoy. Y'all stay safe, please. Uh, be responsible, wash your hands, practice social distancing, take this seriously. If, if not for yourselves, for the, the people that are more vulnerable, that you care for and love, and that are part of your community. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I'm with Eric Fawcett. We're here on SEC Tournament Semifinal Saturday. Except that it's March Sadness and there's no more basketball. Um, Eric, the right call, obviously, I think most people have kind of come to terms with it being the right call, but still extremely hard to fathom March without college basketball. Yeah, right call for sure. Um, it's nice to just kind of lead with that because as we get off our uh, uh, just very depressed uh, statements, it's just kind of like good to view it through the lens that we do definitely think that it was it was the proper proper decision. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, one thing that's crazy is like, uh, which I, I I'm very much like the uh, like probably everyone listening here, where uh, when when Florida season ends in basketball, it's a really sad time. Like I I genuinely get very sad about it and. Uh, you look at like last year uh, when Florida went to go play Michigan going into that game. Uh, I, I knew it was over. <laughs> like, I mean, if you, um, uh, if you read, if you read my, uh, my preview for that game, when I did a scout, I mean, I, I knew it was over. Like, Listen to our you, podcast. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you enter that game and you know that like, well, it's likely it's over or, and even before Nevada, you know, like it was like, I, I really thought Florida was going to win, but I, you, you, I went in knowing that there's a chance that is the last game I, I have the opportunity to watch and write about. Uh, but yeah, not having that opportunity this time. I mean, this, we, we watched Florida's last game, but we didn't know it was Florida's last game. And uh, there's something that's just uh, uh, it makes that extremely sad for, for us as fans. And it's really just like, odd. it's, it's, uh, it's a unique feeling that obviously we, we haven't had before. I mean, every, every time Florida's seasons have, have ended in the past and we feel that kind of sadness, you, you always know going into the last game that it could very well be their last game or, or will be their last game you know, on the football side uh, with some of the bowl games and stuff like that. So this is just something that's, uh, yeah, it feels very foreign. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point about that too because like you do, um, even in professional sports, I mean, you have an idea that, could be the last game, but certainly in college sports with seniors, um, you know, that's something that is definitely unique and, you know, in college football, like you said, bowl games, you kind of get the chance to brace yourself to say goodbye to your seniors and to brace yourself that another year is over. Uh, first time there's no NCAA tournament since world war two, I think. Um, and, you know, it's just tough. It's tough to kind of uh, come to terms with, with that. You know, I think Eric and I have talked about this before, but I don't know what your opinion on it is, Eric, but like the four or five days from basically when things got canceled Wednesday or th and Thursday, beginning Thursday to, to tomorrow are like 
five of the best college basketball days of the year, and we got none of them this time. Right. Yeah. It's uh, uh, you. You think about what it could have been like a week on on either side of it. Uh, it could have been really different, but the time that it changed, which was like, I just obviously how quickly it changed, but between the time where it was like, well, like. Uh, it's like, yeah, we're probably not going to see the end of the SEC tournament, but like, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the NCAA tournament, that's, that's good. It's still probably going to happen. And then like, I mean, a matter of hours after that, it was like, oh no, man, this is, uh, this NCAA tournament. That's, that's not in the car. So, uh, just, uh, showing how quickly things moved. Uh, yeah, that's just, uh, once again, just like what a unique sports story and well like i obviously it's bigger than that it's what a story in the world front but even when it comes to sports i mean this is just something with like uh, there's really just like no guidebook on on how to uh, on how to handle these things and uh, for that reason it was a big feeling out process but uh yeah i think obviously when you saw league after league canceling their their conference tournaments you just you just knew that there was going to be uh, no way for them to do this ncaa tournament even with uh, even with fans in attendance yeah i mean it was it's tough it's tough on the people that we're hoping for that extra money. I'm sure working those games. It's tough for media that, uh, you know, sports writers are always searching for the next big story. And a lot of, uh, especially in the freelance era now, uh, a lot of us have no next story. <laughs> so, um, just a lot of things that, that are hard about it. I think with this Florida team, uh, in particular, Eric, you know, in a you know to view it more narrowly in just the basketball perspective from just the basketball standpoint obviously we never got the answers about Kerry Blackshear's health we'll never get those but what we know is that this Gators team you know we'll never know if they had a run in them where where they finally peaked and played consistently um because you know that they had said all the right things leading up to the SEC tournament and the media availability. And, and uh, Mike White said Wednesday on the fine mom show that they had, you know, had one of their best practices of the season um, ahead of Thursday. And we never got to see what the fruits of that were. So that's, uh, that's kind of tough to deal with too. Yeah. I, I mean, it is just interesting. Uh, unlike unlucky, maybe it's, maybe it is lucky. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, but just the fact that this, you know, this, the weirdest story to uh, the weirdest turn of events to happen to college basketball in my lifetime, at least for sure. Oh, for uh, happened sure. to um, happen to, uh, you know, the probably the weirdest, strangest Florida team in that I remember watching where, uh, you know, like it really truthfully wouldn't have shocked me if Florida went on a run to the elite eight or, or better, even despite the way that the season went. And then it also wouldn't shock me if they uh, got pounded in the opening round. I mean, and the SEC tournament as well. I mean, they, uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, uh, Neil, we almost got to uh, skirt this one because uh, the SEC tournament didn't continue. But I mean, you and me were both pretty, pretty certain that Ole Miss was going to beat Georgia, and Georgia hammered them. Uh, so I mean, could we be sure that Florida would be able to handle Georgia again? I mean, who knows? Like this is a just such a, a, a strange Florida team this year, and it's just so interesting that like the one time where. Uh, you enter postseason play just like having zero idea what was going to happen, and then uh, we we uh, we don't get the answers. It's just uh, it's interesting. It's funny how that works out. Yeah, that's uh, I like that. Th you know, Thursday morning before everything was canceled, we were getting a couple of our normal listeners calling us out as as we should have. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, for for basically saying nothing about Georgia on the on the preview, and Georgia just really ran all this out of the building. So 
Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was so wrong. Yeah, we, we deserve to get called out. March, man. Um, you know, that's, that's what you get. Uh, the Gators finish 32nd in the Kim Palm rankings. I didn't really check other metrics. It just gets too depressing at some point. Uh, 27th in offensive efficiency, Eric. Their highest, uh, second highest number in the white era. Um, kind of your thoughts on that, because obviously we talked about it against Kentucky. You know, still some of the same problems. Uh, the lack of really a go-to guy in crunch time hurt this team, even though it was way better on offense. Yeah, that uh, that offensive ranking is is it's an interesting one because the, like obviously Florida struggled together. Like when you look at their start to the uh, to the, S- test, the SEC kind of league schedule, like they really did string together like a bunch of really good offensive performances in a row, and kind of showed, um, yeah, kind of showed what they're capable of. I, I still would have thought, you know, before the season uh, that this was going to be a team probably like maybe more like seventeenth than twenty seven, but that's really not that far off. It was probably the defensive side where I thought that this was going to be a top fifteen defense, and they uh, they finished sixty first, but. Uh, one thing I do think, and, uh, you know, maybe this is like a, a deeper in the off season topic to, uh, to get into Neil. So you might have to just, uh, we might have to just t- put this one to the side for now. But, uh, one thing I do think that's quite interesting is because Florida went to a, a far more structured offense than we've seen under white. Um, I really actually feel like teams, uh, really got used to it once they just had tons and tons of film because, uh, like Florida was a very set based team and very, uh, very structured within their motion offense. But, uh, for a team that was, you know, quite structured and quite set based, they didn't actually have like a, a big playbook of sets. Uh, there was a couple that they, that they went to a lot. And I think that you did see, uh, especially against Tennessee, I thought Tennessee was really, really well prepared to defend, uh, everything. And I thought, uh, Kentucky kind of the second time around was, uh, was fairly prepared as well. So I, I I'm kind of interested to see once again, like how, uh, and I mean, a lot of it's going to just depend on, you know, what the roster looks like, but if, if Florida is going to be this, um, this team that's more reliant on sets and, and playing quite structured, uh, I, I do think they're going to need to, uh, just, just expand it because if you're going to be set based and you are really running, you know, two, three or four sets in a game, uh, that's going to be pretty easy to prepare for. Yeah, it, it, you know, second straight year where they were really set reliant, but I think I think that's a good point that you make that it was even different. I thought it was different this year because that team, uh, this team, um, yeah, I mean, kind of less set, right? I think than than last season where they had some different types of Princeton concepts that they kind of went away from a little bit. No. Uh, yeah, they, it's definitely turned into a little bit less of the the Princeton than it was uh, than it was last year. Uh, but I mean, we just we did see stretches where where Florida played a, a ton of this like various variations of the pick and roll, even. But they really went away from that in the last couple weeks. Uh, and uh, but they did still, you know, go to those designed post up plays for for Blackshear. Uh, sometimes a ton, sometimes uh, not as much. Uh, but yeah, once again and. Uh, uh, just seeing the way that teams were were preparing for for Florida, it just uh, yeah, it seemed like maybe they're going to need to uh, stretch out the playbook a little bit more if they're if they're going to want to be able to yeah call a bunch of a bunch of sets down the stretch against these uh, these teams later in SEC play. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so that that's kind of an interesting uh, an interesting view at, at that particular number. Obviously, the defensive number not not nearly uh, where it was. So Florida's worst defensive uh, 
ranking in the white era. Um, some, some of that, you know, if you listen to us all year, you know that some of it just had to do with the Florida bigs, the lack of Kavarius Hayes, whether it was Kerry Blackshear and sort of his athleticism deficit or, or just young guys um, in, in Jason Jatobo and Omar Payne, who, you know, we talked about Jatobo a little bit, a little bit, his limitations, not necessarily in pick and roll, but in other areas, Omar Payne's limitations on pick and roll defense. And then Dante Bassett battling an injury um, for much of SEC play. Yeah, Dante Bassett's season is really just an incomplete because he did have some some really good moments. Like when I uh, when I went through all Florida's pick and roll defense film for that article a week or two ago, uh, it, it was actually kind of surprising to see that Dante Bassett actually had some some really good plays defensively. Uh, there just were hardly any of them. So uh, it's just kind of uh, tough to really say and anything about his season. But uh, yeah, it's interesting too. I mean. Uh, like obviously I, I really do like there's a good bit of blame that I put on Blackshear to be honest defensively and I, I don't mean to be just you know rude when I say that just uh, when I look at things I, I do think a lot of the problem was uh, was definitely related to, to kind of his lack of rim protection and Florida scheme that kind of relies on someone that needs to protect the rim uh, but it's interesting I mean uh, one thing I thought I, I, I thought about it actually it was a few podcasts ago um, and I thought about it after the podcast, uh, listening back, where um, where I claimed that I thought Noah Locke was was not a great defender, and you kind of said, "No, I think he's a better defender than than you think, Eric." <laughs> and I kind of thought back to uh, to Florida's roster, and it was just like, "Well, is is Andrew Nemhart a better defender than he was as a freshman?" I would say likely. Is Noah Locke a better defender than he was as a freshman? Likely. Uh, Keontae Johnson, same thing. Uh, is Scotty Lewis a good defender? You know, I I do think he's a good defender. Then it's like, well. You know how did Florida get get so much worse defensively this year from last year? I mean, is is Scotty Lewis that much worse of a defender than than Kayvon Allen, who is a really good defender? Um, I do think Kayvon Allen was a better defender than Scotty Lewis, but I don't think the drop off was huge. Right. Um, I think you've got to look at the, the obviously the freshmen that are now sophomores. Presumably, they all got better defensively, and uh, they also didn't have to play with Jalen Hudson, who was not a very good defender. So. Uh, you kind of look at the, the the pieces that returned from last year, the pieces that you trade out, and you just say, like, how did Florida get a lot worse? I, I mean, I, I really do think you have to look at the center position. Does that make sense? Did I did I explain that well? What are, you, what are your thoughts? now so this goes back to to something that uh we talked about on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago or a couple uh, a couple podcasts ago um where i kind of claimed that i thought noah lock was a good defender but not a great defender and then you neil were like you know eric i, I do think he's a better defender than uh than when you said and uh so i i kind of thought about it i mean you look at last year's defense that was that was really good and then you look at this year's defense that that wasn't and you you see that you've got three freshmen that came back as sophomores uh you'd presume that those guys are all better defenders as sophomores than they were as freshmen um you look at scotty lewis getting out to the mix which i don't think he's as good of a defender as Kayvon allen which might be a hot take but uh (laughs) but i still think that scotty lewis is a is a good defender and i would say an above average defender 
uh, and you look at the fact that, uh, you know, the Gators didn't have to play Jalen Hudson on the floor. And I thought Jalen Hudson was a poor defender. So right. uh, you look that they, they got rid of, they don't have to, you know, they got rid of Jalen Hudson, who's not a great defender. Uh, they lose Kayvon Allen, but who's a really good defender, but they get Scotty Lewis in kind of a similar role. Who's, who's still a good defender. Uh, but still, you know, you see that Florida goes from a really good defensive team to a not very good defensive team. And, uh, for that reason, I think you've got to look at the center spot. And uh, for that reason, I, I, I do think a lot of the poor defensive play has to be at the uh, has to be placed there at the center position. And, and a lot of it's the scheme, of course, but uh, they just didn't get the production within the scheme that they're playing that they needed from that spot. Um, but uh, going back to what I was saying, even about, uh, you know, our Noah Locke uh, take was like, you know, if, you know, I would say Andrew Nemhart's a good defender. I don't know what other people think, or, you know, I think Scotty Lewis is a good defender. I think Keontae Johnson's a good defender. Um, is it possible that Noah Locke's also a, an above average defender and it was just the center spot that was bad yet? Um, that, and that was enough to make the entire defense bad. I, I I'm not really sure. So I, I think that probably we have to have overrated some of those guys, uh, defensively in that mix. I mean, uh, like I, like I said, I, I think Scotty Lewis is, is an overrated defender in the eyes of, of many, many people. Um, I still think he's a good defender, but I, I do not think he's a great defender. Um, I, I actually do think Andrew Nemhart's a, a, a good defender, which maybe I'm, I'm off there. Um, I don't think Noah Locke's a great defender. I think he's a good defender. Uh, but, uh, yeah, is. I, I know I've just said a lot of statements in there, Neil, and you can pick and choose which ones uh, which ones you want to respond to. Well, it's a really interesting point that you raise about scheme, Eric, because you know you can lay it at the feet of the center's position, and I think that's a good take. You know, Omar Payne played I think 14 minutes a game, and by the end of the season, his that was his total. Jason Tatoba played six minutes a game through 31, but really more than that in the last half of the year, right? The bulk of his minutes certainly came the second half of the season. Florida looked for some answers, but never really consistently changed or adapted the scheme in the way that you and I would have liked, I think. No, and uh, obviously, you know, we talked about the pick and roll uh, a ton and, and how they played that, and they did see some changes, and, you know, I wrote about it. Uh, uh, when yeah. they changed it, they had much better results, and that's something that's um, – uh, a stat that I hope that they're aware of and something that they, they keep track of. And I hope that that kind of moving forward uh, helps dictate what they want to do. And uh, what, one thing I definitely, you know, wish they did, and it was something we called for even before the season was just hoping or maybe a, anticipating, but it was probably more hoping that Florida was going to play more zone defense. And uh, they did play more zone this year than, than last year, but, it still was, you know, it was a it was a one three one that extended and fell back into man, or it was a three two that I really felt was like a little more of just like a, you know, it was really like a just a major change up. Let's throw even though their rotations in the three two were not your prototypical three two rotation. So I think it was very much like let's just try to confuse the other team, get them out of rhythm. But it's not something that I could really see Florida playing really long stretches in. Like yes, they played long stretches in it against Georgia. Uh, you know, Georgia is a good offensive team, not a great one. Uh, and it worked there, but it wasn't something I don't think, well, it's clear they didn't feel super comfortable rolling it out against really good offensive teams. I mean, they did it against Kentucky, didn't go well, but uh, yeah, I kind of really wish that they had a defense that uh, 
a zone defense that they would feel comfortable like really sitting down in for for long stretches not something that they uh throw in a, a extended three two with some weird rotations to try to uh right uh, get some steals some time and then go back to man which and there's nothing wrong with having those defenses i'm not saying uh it, it was bad to play that but uh yeah, just having something that they could really say like, hey, we're starting the game in this defense and we can play it for six or seven or eight minutes and, and see how it goes. Not like, like, like whenever Florida went 3-2, whenever they went 1-3-1, you just knew that they weren't going to be able to do it for more than a couple of minutes at a time. That's just the way those defenses were. Uh, and yeah, so it's, you know, it was great to see some kind of variation, but uh, they might have been kind of, if they just played a 2-3 zone uh, a little more conservative, I mean, maybe that would have changed other defense like that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's interesting. I just, I consistently felt like the way that they um, engaged in their pick and roll coverages lacked kind of consistency. And I never felt like for a team who sort of wanted to make Kerry Blackshear the, the, the focus of the offense, uh, at least much of the year, it seemed odd that they didn't want to accommodate him on defense. So like, I feel like, I mean, you could dive, and I'm, I'm sure we will over the summer, and we have on the show, we could dive into timeout usage. We could dive into to rotations, right? And, like, you know, rotations might be 1B for me, but I feel like for a staff that is so good uh, defensively, it was an unusual season where I wouldn't give them high marks in terms of, of how they had this team defend. And that might be my biggest coaching staff criticism um, of this season. One thing that's really interesting is like Florida could change nothing this offseason in terms of their defensive scheme, and they could go right back to being a top 20 defense next year just because uh, I, I just don't think it fits uh, the personnel, obviously, this year, but it, it, it'll fit the personnel next year, I think. Like, if you've got uh, you've got Daruji in the mix, uh, you've got Omar Payne in another season, and uh, Jason yeah. Jatobo thinned down a little bit, and he showed great moments. Uh, playing the the hedge and recover defense, he had some yeah. problems in other places defensively, but his pick and roll defense was was actually good. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Like uh, their like quote unquote adjustment to improve from this poor defensive season could honestly be to just like <laughs> stick to the same guns, and it, it might work. But I, I, I so for that reason, I'm interested in in what they do because uh, this scheme that they just played for four years with Kavarius Hayes and. Uh, and some of the athletes uh, at, with Justin Leon and Devin Robinson <laughs> earlier. Uh, yeah, it could kind of work this next year. To, and uh, so I am interested to see if they kind of just stick to uh, stick to what they've done or uh, what changes we see because uh, it obviously worked for them for a, a bunch, of, bunch of years, didn't work this year. So what their next move is, uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and it's an interesting um, – that's kind of an interesting – you know, like theoretical discussion, um, you know, because some programs just don't really change the way that they do things. They're not going to like, they'll make, I shouldn't say like, they'll never make small adjustments because even this staff made, I shouldn't say even this staff either. This staff made small adjustments. So they weren't willing to make wholesale adjustments because they kind of have a cultural approach to how they want to defend, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Duke on offense is an example of um, Mike Krzyzewski, um, you know, lots of cutters, uh, lots of pin downs, 
Lots of reliance on spacing when he has a scoring point guard. Um, less reliance on spacing when he doesn't have a scoring point guard or a point guard that is as consistent at getting into the paint. You know what I mean? Like there are cultural things that Duke wants to do offensively. They don't change that. Um, they might make tiny adjustments here or there. North Carolina is another great example. They, they don't slow down. Uh, they're going to play fast. It's just something that they do. Uh, so how much do you think that factored in? Because to me, it, se- like, it seems like the answer is a lot. Well, I mean, here's the difference between – sorry. Here's one of the differences between Florida and Duke <laughs> and North Carolina. One of the differences is uh, Duke recruits to what they're doing. Yes. UNC recruits to playing two bigs and then while still being able to, able to play really fast with their other positions. Florida has not recruited to their style of play. Like when they were committed to playing, uh, when they really wanted to play the dribble drive and then they have Andrew Nemhard and Noah Locke, that just does not drive whatsoever. Like that, that's just uh, pull some coaches and that just wouldn't be the fit that they would expect. That would not be the offense uh, to run with Andrew Nemhard and Noah Locke. I love those two players. Uh, it, they, the, the dribble drive is just not the best use of their of their skills. Uh, and then you also see that, uh, yeah, like I, I mean, it's obviously a little bit different uh, when it comes to getting a graduate transfer versus, uh, you know, your high school recruiting. But still, you know, they uh, when you bring Carrie Blackshire in, you should probably just know that you're not going to be able to run the same scheme as Kavarius Hayes. And, uh, you know, I will give them credit. I mean, I, I think in recruiting Omar Payne, you see someone who is, very similar to Kavarius Hayes, just uh, even with more physical gifts. I know he didn't always play the great defensively as a freshman here, but I think moving forward, you definitely see Omar Payne as someone with a lot of Kavarius Hayes defensive potential. But again, still like uh, that's, what's kind of interesting just about the uh, uh, yes, this uh, commitment to a certain style is like there's teams that are committed to a certain style and they recruit to it. Whereas uh, if, uh, if you knew that Florida was going to be going to want to defend a certain way and play the dribble drive, uh, and then look at the players they recruit. Uh, I don't think it would jive particularly well. Yeah, no, I mean it's interesting. Uh, I feel like certainly they've they've kind of adjusted to what they want to do in the last couple of recruiting classes, right? Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean I think you know Mike White said something about this summer about how maybe they they paid too much attention to recruiting rankings and you know like. I don't know if they didn't necessarily have a full recruiting identity. Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned Nimhard, I think, and and we mentioned Noah Locke as, as sort of players that aren't necessarily of that mold. I mean, I, I love the fact that Noah, uh, that Andrew Nimhard played or plays for Florida. I guess we'll find out what happens with him, but, but uh, you know, certainly less, even that class, as many starts as they accumulated here in the last two seasons, really only Keontae Johnson is, is a personnel fit yeah prototypically it's what they have uh, they wanted to do he would be the only one but uh, i i do look at um you know uh, tyree appleby he's someone who fits that uh with anthony deruji he's someone who fits that uh the wings coming in next year they, they do fit that a little bit more but i just uh, uh again i think a lot of what you do offensively starts with your backcourt and i just of like 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 i really like like talent-wise, I love Florida's backcourt for sure. I put them as a you know one of the top, whatever twenty backcourts in the country. I haven't thought about it enough to know. Uh, but uh, amongst good backcourts, I'm not sure if there was like a worse team 
strategy fit to uh to you know them trying to play dribble drive with that group so so they did change it which uh, which is like i do think admirable that they were able to kind of see it this year and, and scrap it um i i wonder neil do you think that the fact that they had to make such a major offensive change do you think that that uh it, during the season do you think that that hindered their uh their defense, just the fact that they, you know, were probably spending more time on on this offense than uh, than they probably expected before the year. I mean, I think, you know, my, my argument would be it couldn't have helped, Eric. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, my argument would be it couldn't have helped. I, I think, like, I think when the story on this team is written, it, it gets an incomplete because we don't know what was going to happen over the next couple weeks. Um, and I don't think – I think that's the case with pretty much every program, right? Like, I mean, certainly – I feel – I don't feel for Florida State because they're Florida's rival. I'll be straight up about that. If you're one of Florida's rivals, I don't feel sorry for you. Um, uh, you know, I don't feel sorry for Kentucky, although I would have loved to see them play in March. Uh, you know, I thought that they certainly seemed to figure things out in the last month. By the way, um, not to, to get too far into stuff we're going to do over the summer, but they – they figured it out because a bunch of guys who thought they could go pro came back. Okay. Um, a bunch of guys who could have played G, played in the G league came back. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with, with Florida's guys. Uh, you know, we talked on the last part about how we both think Andrew Nimhard will depart. I, I think we both think that's the right decision for Andrew Nimhard. Um, I think it's more complicated with every other player considering it on Florida's roster. Um, for me, at least, I don't know uh, what Eric's position is on that, but, but I do think that that's certainly, you know, yeah. I mean, like Kansas Duke, uh, I actually think this Gonzaga team had a really good chance to win the national championship, you know, and that's a bummer for those teams, uh, but you can't give them an incomplete, but to kind of complete a really, I went down a rabbit hole. I didn't want to go down and I apologize to Eric for that. Cause he had to listen to that ramble. You guys can just hit fast forward, but, um, <laughs> The, the decision in October to play the style of offense they did, I think, was a problem that set this team back. And I think that, you know, when the book on this team is written, that decision probably looms over everything a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I do think so. I, yeah, I've said it I, plenty of times. I just think when uh, – when you just look at the talent Florida had, I just, I just kind of knew the dribble drive was, was not going to work and going into, you know, I remember even still when we went, uh, we were talking about the podcast before they played Florida state, when uh, we didn't know the season was on the trajectory that it ultimately ended up being on. Uh, one of the things I said was I, I didn't think against Florida state, they were going to be able to create enough advantage situations playing dribble drive to, uh, to score in Florida state. And uh, I, thought that that was going to be the case against Florida state. I didn't know it was going to be the case in the other games when Florida still tried to keep the dribble drive going. And uh, yeah, obviously that was uh, the, the kind of was a little bit of uh, some, some foresight into how Florida season was going to go. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do definitely want to just commend the staff for, for being able to, to make yep. that change. I'm sure that wasn't, that wasn't easy. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, it, when it, how it relates to uh, the kind of practice time on defense, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it certainly couldn't have helped like you mentioned. Uh, but I do just see some of the, uh, uh, you, you know, like was X number of hours, um, really made Carrie Blackshear a better rim protector. Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, would it have made, you know, some guys better perimeter defenders? Like, no, I don't think so. Like, honestly, like when I see Florida's defensive problems, I don't actually see them as like, wow, Florida really just got 
like like there wasn't a lot of times where I thought Florida really got lost in rotations. You know what I mean? And when yeah. when guys just get lost in rotation, that's where I'm like, man, they, they need to watch film and uh, and it's something you address in practice. I think a lot of it was just like, uh, yeah, they they this this scheme was tough and it created a breakdown because the ball wasn't contained and the other teams going in four and three. Yep. Uh, and Florida wasn't able to make a miraculous defensive play to, to save it. So. Uh, yeah, that's that would be kind of some of my response to my own question about uh, <laughs> the offense. Uh, you know, having to work on it affected. Like, I, I really don't think that this team played uh, confused or disconnected defensively. Like, I uh, and, and one thing I know, like even some of the players questioned the effort of other players. You know, and said that it was an effort problem sometimes defensively. I, I don't even know if I like. I mean, the players know better than me, so clearly they're right. But I, I just never really thought that like, <coughs> the team. I, I never really thought like, wow, like that's the effort problem that, that really, you know, screwed Florida in this game. And a lot of times I just thought it was um, a scheme that didn't fit their, their personnel that they would have had to have um, executed uh, well, better than, uh, than you'd kind of expect from that player over and, right. and over again for a 40 minute game. And that's uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be tough to do. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I only thought really only the Mississippi state game that I think that, I thought that was a weird game because I thought Florida got – I did. I agreed with the staff that I thought the players felt pretty good about themselves when they got a 16-point lead in the first half. And I, I do think Florida tried to coast a little bit. Now, I also think that there were some foul trouble issues that, that kind of got Mississippi State back into that game. But that, that's the game that – the only game that stands out in my head is one where I was like, man, Florida's effort was miserable, was that. And then I guess the first half against Georgia – in the O'Connell Center. Um, so, I, yeah, I should say like three halves that really stick out in my mind where I felt like, man, I would have been really mad at my players. <laughs> <laughs> and really, I guess only two halves, right? Because the first half against Miss State was like, that was, that was like the first half hour against Kentucky. Like, that was good Florida. Like, the best Florida could be, I think. Um, you know, because I don't with Haggins or no, the first half hour against Kentucky was impressive because nobody had corralled quickly like that. Right. Like nobody had put him in foul trouble and caused as many problems. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the Blackshear injury was unfortunate, but it really does stink that that Florida's last game was this epic collapse against Kentucky. And yet if you look at that game, you can kind of see the whole season in one game. So in some ways, it's kind of appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could even add in that they, you know, played super well against Georgia the game prior, and then you can even yeah. contextualize it that way. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it kind of brings a question too that uh, I really don't know the answer. I mean, I, I know uh, Sarah from Tampa, I believe, asked this last podcast, or uh, just about like you know, like would a would an NCAA tournament berth um, kind of change people's perception of the season? We said uh, we said no. Um, but I, 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 it does make me kind of interested. You like, do you think that like, like if Florida wins three games in the SEC turn, or tournament and makes a Sweet Sixteen, like, do you think that that would like, like, at, at what point do you think that you could really like erase some of the uh, some of the sins of the season, if that makes sense? Like, do you think that there's a, do you think there's an element of that, or do you think it would still be like, hey, if Florida wins the SEC and wins and makes a Sweet Sixteen, it would still be like, man, that was still a, a, a frustrating regular season. Like, what, what? Do you have any thoughts about that? I do. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question because I, before all the the Corona hit the fan, I I definitely 
was on a Saturday Down South podcast that we recorded, and I think we're not going to release because there's no point. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I said, what would it take for you to feel like Mike White's seat is not warm next year? Uh, you can you can decide for yourself, listener, uh, how warm you think it is. Um, and I said, I think they need to win a couple games at the SEC tournament, maybe make the SEC semifinal or the SEC final. And then I think they need to go to the Sweet 16. And then I don't think anybody would really – I said then I don't think anybody really rational would think that his seat is warm when he'd been to the second weekend twice in his first five years. Um, and when they had been to the semifinals or beyond in the SEC tournament two consecutive years, uh, to me, that, that would alleviate a lot of problems. By the way, in that scenario, let's say it's the SEC championship, Eric, and the Sweet 16. That would be Florida winning 24 games and losing, let's say they lose the SEC championship game. That would be a 24 and 14 season, which is pretty good. Um, that would be the best win total since the Elite Eight year. And then I think if you, if you look at it in that context, you know, then yeah, you say, well, they did pretty well. They weren't quite as elite as we thought they were going to be, but you know, Oh, by the way, it's hard to make the second weekend ask Tennessee. They've done it like three times in the history of the school. Right. Like, so it's not three or four times. It's not, it's not easy to do, I guess is the point I'm making. And, um, you know, that probably would have been enough for me. What about you? Uh, I, I really have no idea. I think it almost would matter the, the way in which they, mm-hmm. they did it. You know, like it's almost like uh, if they found them, like let's say the scenario where they, you know, make it deep in the SEC tournament, even at this point after losing to Kentucky, you know, maybe let's, let's say they're an eight seed. Uh, let's say they sneak by. Well, actually, I guess that then if they make the Sweet 16, they'd have to be a beat yeah, the one. Uh, so that's so the let's, say they, let's say they find themselves, themselves up to the like, seven seed yeah and so they uh uh so they obviously win the first game but let's say they do it in in not great fashion and then in the second game they play like their two seed is like san diego state where like uh, some people are not convinced they're as good as their record for you know we don't have to argue whether that's true or not but let's say but i'm sure in a lot of people's perception if florida then beat san diego state in the second round uh, that would not be the same as beating Baylor or Gonzaga in the second round. You know what I mean? And then if they right. uh, make the Sweet 16 but lose out in dramatic fashion, I don't like it's a Sweet 16, but I think a lot of people would say, like, oh, well, like they got a lucky path and still got to the Sweet 16. Like, so I don't know. It's it's almost the matter in which the games would matter. Uh, but it, it's, yeah, I, I mean, it, what's kind of obviously too bad for, for the players, but the, you know, the staff as well is like, I don't think the perception, it, like if Florida lost in the first game of the SEC tournament, yeah, it would be worse than, uh, you know, it'd be worse than it is than it was. But I don't think it would be that much worse uh, versus you know getting some wins in the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament would really like help perception. So I do, you know, kind of I do definitely feel for the staff that's uh, things probably couldn't have gotten much worse, but they definitely had the opportunity to uh, uh, for things to get a lot better. And obviously, that's you know one of the things that. That's that kind of sucks. I, it makes, you know, obviously a lot of teams are affected in di- in different ways, but that's uh, that's definitely how Florida was affected. A team that just like didn't have the chance to uh, to show things were gonna come together at the end if they were. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's just a it's just a bummer. It's a bummer for everybody. Um, so I want to put you on the spot, uh, and I know I'm I'm sure you're thrilled about that. 
Eric. Um, sure. <laughs> so uh, let's start at home in the SEC. How many teams to the second weekend? Oh, man. Um, just as a very rough gauge, I'm going to pull up bracket matrix and uh, and treat that as a, as my my starting point. Uh, second, But second weekend, man, uh, I would say two, honestly. I, I don't see a lot of those teams really advancing. I'd say, um, yeah, I would say Kentucky and then one of Florida or, or Auburn uh, would, would get there. I, I think I just don't think a lot of those, you know, uh, well, not a lot. So there's not a lot of SEC terms that are going to be in the field. But I mean, I think that uh, uh, I, I don't think many of them are built to go particularly deep. So I, I would say two. What would you say? Um, yeah, I was going to go two. I was going to say Kentucky and one of uh, Auburn or Florida. Um, I'm trying to think if I really thought anyone else had even a remote chance of getting. Yeah, I'd say one of Auburn or Florida. Um, uh, yeah, we we pretty much were we were there on that. One thing that was uh, one thing that's amazing. Uh, like I've I've grown to love this as potentially my favorite. Like I mean, well, Ken Palm is still the bible essentially of uh, but uh but bart torvik uh, if anyone ever looks at uh, at that website as a kind of predictive analytic one mm-hmm. thing that's like super super cool uh torvik is like extremely extremely customizable so you could say like for example like you can go see it which i need to go do and i think i'm gonna do it for an article uh but, i mean something we talked about was the fact that you know florida's offense started really poorly but uh but got up to like 27 after they were quite low um, so like, so, but you can actually, so you could go set, Hey, what was Florida's offensive efficiency nationally, um, in this certain time span. So you could look at, uh, January, February and say, what was Florida in that time span? And we, so anyways, I would have to do something like that. But anyways, something that someone on the three man weave podcast, which is one of the best college basketball podcasts out there. If someone's yes. for, for something, yes. I, one of them pointed out that, um, since the, uh, since the middle of sec play up until the end. LSU was 273rd in the country in defensive efficiency. So, I mean, <laughs> you and me pointed out that they were, like, obviously really bad de- defensively. Yeah. But uh, they were, like, super bad. And that was, uh, you know, obviously Florida, you know, beating them the second time really showed that. Uh, but anyways, I was going to say, like, there's part of me that thinks that LSU could just bring it together and, and maybe, no. over, like, overwhelm a team for a game or two. But I also just see that they were, like, like not only were they – whatever they were in Ken Palm defensively somewhere in the hundred and whatever's. Uh, but like realistically they were actually like a low major team defensively for the last months of the season. Uh, so I just don't think that would have translated super well to the tournament. So that was going to be my next question was SEC team most likely to get beat in the first round. And I was going to say LSU because um, they're well, really they're only two because Auburn has these games where they'll shoot 28% from deep. Right. Um, and I know Florida sometimes has those too, but to me, there's a there. This Florida team in like win the first game has been really good. So my sense was Kentucky and Florida were going to go to the second round, and so then I was like, okay, they're going to have three other teams in probably. You know, um, of those three, who do I think would lose most likely lose in the first round? And I kept feeling. The, the one that kept tugging at me was, was 
was LSU because I just don't think you can defend that poorly in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's uh, that. Yeah, that's definitely a good answer. I mean, I, I do think you can make an argument for uh, for Auburn because Auburn. Huh? Well, one thing that would be interesting would be Auburn. Well, is the fact that Auburn's the third, like thirty third in Ken Palm, so they're even, they're one spot lower than Florida in Ken Palm, right. but yep. they're a five seed. So you look at like the 12 seeds, they would say. So, for example, like according to, you know, bracket matrix, um, Cincinnati is a 12 seed. So Cincinnati is 44th in Ken Palm. Auburn is 33rd. Right. So you're getting so even like uh, while that uh, that wouldn't make Auburn maybe more like more likely to get upset than LSU uh, in terms of like, you know, like LSU would be uh, is like an eight seed, I think, in bracket matrix or something, uh, something like that. Yeah. Eight seed in bracket matrix. Uh, so, I mean, you know, if they get they lose in an A9 game, that's uh, not as crushing. But I think that Auburn would definitely be like on upset watch at a 5-12 game. Yeah, uh, which would be uh, so that, well, they, it's that's something that's worth noting, too, is that Auburn's like Auburn's like ranking throughout the season. Uh, what their their resume, uh, the predictive metrics did not see them as anywhere near as good as uh, I guess the wins they got, if that makes sense. But right. Uh, so and and remember, a year ago. They needed a, a deep corner three, and then they needed a stop after they got the three to win their 5-12 game in, against New Mexico State. So, you know, they were nearly undone in that same round, and I think we're a much better basketball team. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, Eric, uh, good, good points. But, there, like, I mean, I think there is something to be said about, like, no one thrives in, like, these chaotic games like Auburn does. Like, that's right. the thing about Auburn's style is that it's very conducive to postseason play, and we saw it last year. And yeah. uh, so that's an, that's one of the reasons why I'd maybe be like, oh, I just don't think that they get upset just because, like, yeah. it's usually these, like, uh, like when teams get upset in the NCAA tournament, it's usually, like, the games get ugly, and that doesn't favor the better team versus, like, if games get ugly for Auburn, they're, like, they love it. They love to play in the mud. So I just don't think that – I don't think it would really bother them if it was, like, a grinded-out game with Cincinnati or something like that. Like, they'd be, they'd be great with that. Where were you on Miss State? Because I've heard I heard multiple competing kind of theories on that. I heard you know Jerry Palm, CBS felt like they were one of the like power five teams, power six teams that was definitely going to lose in the first round. Like they weren't built for the NCAA tournament. They didn't have good enough guards. Um, to your point, games get ugly. Those teams get upset. Miss State likes to play ugly games. Like all those things kind of portend poorly. And then Rob Duster, who I know we both like thought like they've got a fringe lottery pick their guards are tough even if they're not great um they're good at winning the chaos games this year instead of winning ugly they've actually won impressively at times and rob was like that's a team that can make the second weekend if reggie perry plays well where were you i was kind of like they might win their first game but i don't think they're good enough to win a second one yeah they'd be pretty matchup dependent but i do think the way that they just like rebound the ball so well uh, is really impressive, and I also think that uh, uh, like they're a team that's like a, a good three-point shooting team, but like with enough pieces to to get hot. And uh, yeah, I can also just see like they're not a great defensive team, but they're like great at defending the rim. So right. I could kind of see like there's just like a game where they pound the other teams on the glass. Uh, they hit some threes themselves. Uh, they thrive in transition. And the other team can't score because the other team's a bit cold from three. And if they get in the paint, everything's getting blocked. So <laughs> I, I actually could see. So it would be a team that I would think strongly about putting deeper in the uh, uh, going on a little bit of a run. So, uh, yeah, I would say that I'm higher on Mississippi State than uh, 
been kind of consensus, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, they won 20 games. By the way, they were uh, three and one on neutral floors this season. So, um, you know, I always look at that number when I'm like not totally sure. And that's, sorry, three and two on neutral floors. Um, so, you know, not great, but not not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, they were 14 and two in Starkville. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> Wow, that's that's actually really impressive. And I think one of those losses was to no, sorry, that was Ole Miss that lost to Butler. Uh, I didn't mean to insult any Miss State fan that stumbled across our uh, podcast while coronavirus quarantine drunk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's close with uh, with just kind of you know overarching. Like, give me. I don't I don't need a final four. That's too depressing. What about? <laughs> It just is. It just is. Um, you know what? Forget who you think would win the national title. So we're all, we're, you and I, our answers are going to be so similar. Give me one or two things you're you're bummed about not seeing at the NCAA tournament. Like like maybe it's it's uh, the kid from Dayton, right? Like you would have loved to see him in March Madness. Like that's certainly one of the things that I was looking forward to. Um, maybe it is San Diego State. How good are they, right? Uh, something like that, Eric. Yeah, I mean, I have sympathy for for both of the teams you just mentioned as like there's a very good, almost a certain chance that Dayton is not ever the number one seed in the NCAA tournament with arguably the best player in college basketball. Like that's just probably not going to happen again for Dayton. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, even though Dayton's a great program, it's just if I had to bet, will Dayton be a one seed with the best player in college basketball uh, again in the future? I'd If I'd have to bet, no. Uh, San Diego State, kind of similar thing. Would they be in a situation like this anytime soon? Uh, I mean, I guess it wasn't too long ago they had Kawhi Leonard and were kind of in a similar position. They weren't quite as good as this, but, you know, same kind of... Uh, so maybe they'd get back, but I they're probably not this good. Like, the, the fact that they both happen to be really good teams in a year where a lot of the traditional blue bloods, they just didn't have the same quality of one-and-done players that they normally get. Like, that's just not going to happen again. So I, I, I've had great sympathy for them uh and just kind of you know so i kind of just wish i got to see them like go into games with like traditional blue bloods and, and be like favorites in some of those scenarios like yeah uh, that's pretty cool so uh, that's something i'll definitely miss and like even again like uh, another team that like might be in the same picture is honestly baylor like i know baylor's been like a really consistent like good program but like will baylor ha- ever be in a position like they are this year like in terms of like, like Baylor is definitely a team that I might have had winning the national championship, depending on the bracket, uh, just because I think that the way that they defend and the way they yeah. have multiple ball handlers that can score, I mean, that's that to me is the recipe for winning in March. So, uh, it, on, honestly, you know, man, you know what? I, I will say maybe that's that's the team I was most looking forward to seeing what they're doing is, is Baylor, which I know, like, Dayton is probably the most fun to watch. San Diego State's, like, a really good story. They play, like, they play like Loyola Chicago did in their final four run. Uh, San Diego State might just be even better at it, obviously, at least in the regular season. We won't get to see who did it better in, in postseason. But for that reason, I mean, San Diego State can do a lot. But uh, I, I think Baylor and I, I think that uh, Coach Drew there is just, like, wonderful. I, I, I would have loved to have seen him and his guys be able to uh, be able to see what they could do. So I'll say that the team I'm most missing out on seeing what they could have done is, is Baylor. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great answer. Um, you know, one team that – 
I'll give you a, a small school team that's kind of fun to kind of break away from the the way that that conversation was happening. But but um, you know, how about how about North Dakota State a team that 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 started uh, four and four? They finished twenty five and eight. Uh, they beat East Tennessee State, who was really good. Um, kind of just steamrolled through the Summit League. Uh, they have a a 5'11 guard named Vinny Shahid who could just score at will. Uh, really creative player, very fun to watch. Like, I was ready to 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 advance them in a 13-4, Eric. Um, so, so I'm kind of I'm kind of bummed that that I don't get to see uh, Vinny Shahid just burying shots on the first day of the NCAA tournament, and and some announcer just marveling at at uh at how good he was. Um, I do think Dayton for a lot of the reasons that you said also with that school's kind of history and affiliation with, with the NCAA tournament, it would have been really special to see them with, with a wooden award candidate uh, playing as a one seed, you know, and I think how many people would have picked them to lose in the second round and, and to see them just steamroll someone in the second round who wasn't nearly as good as them kind of, I think that kind of would have been, been quite a bit of fun. Um, Yeah. So, so I, and then for me, uh, team I watched a lot this season uh, was Gonzaga. I watched more late night basketball this year than than in years past for a number of reasons that we don't need to get into because nobody cares. But <laughs> I, uh, I I do think that this was a a really big time chance for Mark Few to go back to another Final Four and and maybe cut down the nets. Yeah, I I mean I love Gonzaga every year. This wasn't my most favorite Gonzaga team of of recent memory, but I mean they're definitely in this like. Uh, go, you know, you didn't ask for a Final Four, and now I'm about to give you one half of it. Yes. Um, I'm fairly certain I would have had Baylor or Gonzaga winning. Like, that is almost okay. certain. Like, de- like, you know, depending on how the bracket, but I, I, it would be hard for me to imagine uh, it wouldn't have been one of those two teams. Uh, two other teams that I'm going to throw out uh, as uh, as teams that I, you know, just it just it, everything sucks, but we'll just keep t- piling on. Um, Hofstra was a team that I loved watching this year. Yeah, uh, they were uh, one of the best offensive teams, kind of in the country last year. And then, uh, so they were really fun to watch last year. They were like 15th in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency, uh, and uh, they got upset by Northeastern in their conference tournament. And then this year, uh, they brought back a lot of the same guys, and uh, uh, they won their league. And that would have been a, a really interesting team to see what uh, what they could have done. So uh, one yep. of the best three point shooting teams in the country. And uh, you mentioned. Uh, uh, you mentioned a small guard. They've got one too that uh, that I really love, and uh, Desjure De- Buell, I think his name is. I forget who says first name, but that was a fun team. And then another team that is uh, just like personal connection. Uh, just a couple guys that are Canadians that I know from Canada basketball things that play on Harvard. Uh, so they beat Yale twice this year, and the uh, Ivy League tournament was at Harvard. So although Harvard yeah. didn't win the uh, the Ivy League tournament. Uh, uh, or because they didn't end up having, of course. Um, I really think that Harvard would have been able to to beat Yale and, and Yale. Like I don't know if anyone follows Ivy League basketball. Like the running joke is that like Yale cannot beat Harvard because Harvard is just like hammered them over the last decade. Uh, and then yeah, so Harvard beat them twice handily this year. Uh, the Ivy League tournament was at Harvard, and I think that uh, I really feel for um, really feel for Harvard. And then um, can't say of uh, can't say which team, but I mean uh, there is one team that is in the uh, NCAA tournament picture. Uh, that uh, that I do uh, consult with from time to time on analytics, and I thought that perhaps uh, perhaps I get to see some of my work on the uh, the court this year. So uh, oh. that is my personal sad personal sadness this year. But hey, let's uh, let's see what happens next year. 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, another guy, uh, you know, to, to back up, because I, I agree, like, that from a talent standpoint, I didn't think this Gonzaga team was nearly as good as, as the one with Rui Hachimura and, and, and all that. Those guys, I, I think, I shouldn't say nearly as good, but I did not think they were as talented, Eric. Um, I don't either. But I do, I do think they're more battle-tested, right? Like, because St. Mary's is pretty good. Uh, BYU with Ueli Childs is really, oh. really good. Like, actually, we should have mentioned Ueli Childs. That's a, yeah, no, that's right? that's a team that I actually should have. Yeah. Oh, watching them in March would have been so much fun. They are so good on offense. So good on offense. Um, you know, uh, can I shout out Press Virginia because this, like, the vintage Bob Huggins Elite Eight type team that just absolutely suffocates you, um, and then offsets their inability to score with their ability to get to the line third in the country in free throw percentage um, or third in the country in free throw rate. Uh, they never shoot very well in free throws, but <laughs> they shoot a yeah. lot of them. So it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I mean, so it just, it is, it's rough to not, to not be able to watch the madness um, and instead be, be embracing March sadness. What we're going to do um, Eric is is ask for listener questions and do kind of a, a full scale season in review with listener questions for our next show. I just felt like this one we kind of wanted to put a bow on things. Florida finished the year um, nineteen and twelve. I'm going to say twenty and twelve. If the Florida Senate can declare Florida State national champions, then we can say that Florida won twenty games um, for. <laughs> For the fifth consecutive year. So Florida Basketball Hour declares Florida as 20-game winners officially. Um, and, you know, <laughs> we'll be back, guys, uh, for, the next, uh, for the next show, season review listener questions. Thank you all for listening.